Good evening, America. What is the greater threat to democracy? Christian nationalism or um, secular nationalism? Well, Meet the Press uh, did an interview with Pastor Wilson regarding their concerns on the rise of theocracy in America. Scary theocracy. Uh, the water break team, uh, most of us, are, that is, are here to discuss this. So grab your best scotch or Dr. Pepper and enjoy the show. And the first, accountable to you. Is your smartphone a tool in the service of Christ or a minefield of distractions and temptations? With soul-killing seductions just a few taps away, our families and churches must embrace biblical accountability on our digital devices. Accountable to you makes transparency easy on all your family's devices by sharing app usage and detailed browsing history, including incognito mode with your spouse, parent, or, or chosen accountability partner. Accountable to you helps your family to proactively guard against temptation so you can live with integrity for God's glory. Learn more and try it out for free, for free at accountabletoyou.com forward slash FLF. Put that FLF in there so they know we sent you. Christian nationalism, cannonball or belly flop here. About a month ago, NBC's Meet the Press flew out to little old Moscow, Idaho to interview Pastor Wilson on the rise of theocracy um, in America and Christian nationalism. Apparently, they are doing a series on this topic, and Doug and, and Moscow just happened to be the focus of their first episode released this past week. You can find it, just Google it, Meet the Press, Pastor Wilson, or Meet the Press Moscow. Now, normally, mainstream media does their best to make us kind of look dumb when they interview us. You know, they clip it, and they, they bring in the topic the way they want to talk about it and so forth. But after watching the episode... I think their interviews and edits actually kind of worked against them. Got a couple examples here for you. Um, first, they interviewed a couple who said that women in our church aren't allowed to wear pants. And then literally, literally, they cut to our outdoor psalm sing in 2020 where a bunch of women were wearing pants. They also interviewed a woman pastor from our local universalist church as a representation of true Christianity. Um, a woman who's not really a pastor, like a gay marriage, that's not really marriage, um, you know, uh, from a universal universalist church in town as a representation of true Christianity. Um, on the YouTube comments, there were people who are, I think were um, not even Christians or atheists, were laughing about that very thing. And so, it's, I mean, even the common Joe sees how silly that is. Uh, this is mainstream media. And as you watch this episode and read their follow-up blog posts on Meet the Press, on, on Meet the Press's blog, it is obvious that Meet the Press hates God and they want to erase God from our country. They are linking Pastor Wilson to Representative Lauren Bobbert, uh, to Christine Nome, to Al Mohler, and more in that segment. And they want to use the, the, the label Christian nationalism and lump us all in together. And really what they're doing is throwing God out of the way. That's their ultimate goal. Pay attention to the direction they want the wind to blow in that segment. And one of their blog posts on this episode, this um, uh, on so they they've been doing a couple follow up blog posts too on Meet the Press regarding this you know rise of theocracy. Well, they quote Christy Nome here. Uh, they bring in Christy Nome and said and and have a quote saying that Republican Governor Christy Nome announced new social study standards in public schools that treat Jesus as divine historical figure and claim the founding fathers believed in an in an eternal God. So Christy Nome is, you know, putting in their social studies curriculum that Jesus is divine and that the founding fathers believed in e, in an eternal God. 
Meet the Press was quoting that as a negative. So after you watch the Meet the Press segment, here are some things I want you to walk away with. Okay, first, remember the culture wars are won over definitions. A lot of the battle is fought right there. What is a man? What is a female? Is is Joe Biden really president? (laughs) This remains even more true with the terminology of Christian nationalism. The term Christian nationalist is gaining political momentum on both sides of the debate. The liberals think it's a term for power grabs, whereas Christians use the term to define what kind of nation do we want to have? Do we want a Christian nation or a godless nation? Do we want a Christian nation or a secular nation? And as you've watched us on Cospolitik, we actually prefer the term, you know, Christian intergalacticists. Um, that's what we prefer. You know, Jesus is king not only over America, but over the whole world. The idea that Jesus is Lord of the whole world, the whole galaxy. Don't let liberals define terms because remember, ultimately in their worldview, words are just social constructs that ultimately have no meaning, which is why a man can be a woman in their fairy world. The second thing I want you to walk away with, notice that liberal media is at war with God. They want God erased from America, from the history books. They want to rebrand our history. They want Christians out of the picture. They really do. Liberals want to take dominion over culture, like Christians want to take dominion. Liberals want to control the government. Liberals want to force their worldview on and their laws on you. Watching our local liberal politicians being interviewed in that, that segment had me kind of chuckling a little bit, you know, because just one year ago, they were passing city ordinances to require everyone to wear a mask on their face. And if you didn't, you had to stand six feet apart from your friend out in public out on the sidewalk and and our church is the problem we want christian world our christian worldview is the problem it's your secularist worldview that's the problem thirdly as christians really need to lean into the culture wars we shouldn't back down the uh, the liberal political leaders like biden the liberal media the liberal big tech companies are putting on a full court press against conservatives and their ultimate goal is is to get Christians out of the way. You know, I mean, we've, you know, cross politic alone, we've been suspended by YouTube four times this past year. Vimeo has even deleted some of our videos, wouldn't let us upload some of our videos a couple months ago. And our, our content is constantly being suppressed by social media. And in order to be engaging the culture wars, as Doug pointed out, is you have to be building a culture. You can't replace culture with no culture. Christians, we have to be building cultures that replaces our cancerous culture we have today. So don't take your eye off the ball and, and, uh, you know, be focused on this. Be focused on building culture by worshiping God, raising faithful kids, faithful families, building businesses, and it'll, it'll naturally begin to collide with secular nationalism. Of course, Christian nationalism should be the preferred, you know, nationalism over secular nationalism. It's a, that's a no brainer, but We have nothing to offer if we aren't building good culture in our homes, in our churches, and in our community. Now, the last thing to take away, mainstream journalism is just really bad. I mean, really bad. They can't stay consistent for one minute, and they can't even see their own silly ignorance. Uh, You know, using a female Unitarian pastor to represent Christianity, it's kind of ridiculous. And then notice on the panel, they couldn't um, understand the submission stuff. And 
we can't understand why not interview one of our women. You know, uh, you notice the only women in that segment were women on the other team. There's a lot more to say about the panel discussion in the last half of the segment. We, we won't get into that too much today. But but the water break panel is here to provide you with uh, some better commentary. So, Joseph and Rhett, welcome to Water Break, man. Good to have you guys on. Good to be here. Good to see you. So, um, I'm going to start with you, Joseph. Um, how how should we, how should Christians kind of be thinking about, you know, this this battle over terminology regarding Christian nationalism? Um, it seems like it's almost kind of being forced upon us. I, I do think some Christians have, have a, uh, you know, welcomed it. Um, I don't mind it, um, but I've I've never called myself a Christian nationalist. I'm happy too. I, mean, I believe Jesus is king over everything. But it seems like the the liberals are trying to take the term Christian nationalism, trying to tie it to the MAGA crowd, like the and and just as they did a couple weeks ago, they tied the MAGA crowd to January 6th. All MAGA is January 6th, and so it seems like it's a pejorative term for them to force Christians out of the public square. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's exactly right, and and you, I think, set this up well. And for those of us who have ever done formal debate, you realize that he who defines the terms wins the debate. And and, and what we're experiencing with Christian nationalism is not especially unique. They've done it with words like bigot and hate and racist, where they define all these terms and they just lob. They they use these terms not in an attempt to actually describe something or or, uh, communicate something meaningful, but it is a slur. And how should Christians respond to that? How should you respond uh, to any kind of slur? Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely in my name, right? That's the biblical response to this. We just have to make sure that it's actually being said falsely against us uh, because of Jesus and not because of our bad behavior, our bad attitudes. And if that, if we can take that to Jesus and we can be comfortable with that, you just have to move on uh, because this is the kind of stuff that Jesus promised us was going to happen. You will be misrepresented. You will be misunderstood. You will be lied about. You will be maligned. Um, you know, blessed are you. And so in, in some sense, you do nothing about it, um, but you, you also have to be diligent to not let others fall prey to what this this smear is and this attempt to brand what the gospel is and we can't just be against certain things we have to be for things and we have to i think you're you you also made that point that we have to be culture builders and our lives will be a representation of what it is that we're for what are the things that we built what are the families that we built the schools that we built the towns that we built the companies that we built that's what we're for and yeah we're against things because we're against those things uh, because we uh, because we have something better to offer and, mm-hmm. and when the church does that in the in, with our lives over centuries um it kind of becomes self-evident you know when i see a term like this start to gain real traction um christian nationalism to me it's a, it's alerting me to something okay there's something there there's a fight there at at that at that, uh, uh, things are converging at that point. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I haven't been able to kind of put all the pieces together and make all sense out of all of it. But whatever's going on regarding that term Christian nationalism, um, uh, I, I, I think it's important on how Christians respond and, and that we, um, I don't know, I, what, what are your thoughts, yeah. Rhett, as I'm, as I'm kind of talking here? Well, I think uh, one difference between the term Christian nationalism and terms like racist and bigot and things like that, th- this is a term that I think we can own and we can say, 
well, actually, yes, we, we do want our nation to be Christian. And if that makes me a Christian nationalist, so be it. And then we can press, uh, we can fill it with some new meaning and press our agenda. You can't really do that uh, in the same way with racist or bigot or things like that. I think, you know, in, in those cases, you do what Joseph just said. You, you, you take what Jesus said and, and rejoice and count yourself blessed that you're being slandered and persecuted. Uh, but with this one, I think we can kind of go on the offense and we can turn it back around and point to why a Christian nation is an actual good and and talk about the things that we are for. And again, like Joseph was saying, uh, yeah, bound up in this uh, idea of Christian nationalism is being against certain things. Uh, mm -hmm. In my view, I think, you know, it's it's being against a type of baptized globalism. It's being oh. against um, um, what some detractors would call public atheism. I think uh, the proponents would call it a principle plural. But in essence, when you draw those uh, descriptors away, it's just another version of polytheism. And we want to be against that because you should have no other God but one, the one true and living God. Um, and so we are against certain, but we're also for these things. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a good thing to see the good of, of your own people, of your countrymen. And we want to put forth what a Christian idea of that looks like. And if they call that Christian nationalism, I want to say, well, OK then yes, I'm a Christian nationalist and not take it, not constantly be put on the run or be put on the de uh, defense. Is, is that like, is that taking the bait by kind of owning or, or working off of Christian nationalism? Is that, is that like a, a sort of taking the bait kind of thing? I think that depends what you do with it. Um, and, and I think we probably should just distinguish between, you know, there's, I think there's responsible versions of what goes by Christian nationalism these days. Um, some of what we saw this past week at uh, the NatCon conference. Uh, and then there's some irresponsible versions of it as well, the kind of January 6th. Um, some of the uh, stuff that just kind of has a, a God and country Christian veneer to it. But there's also this biblically informed, uh, actually Christian version of uh, of what Christian nationalism is. I don't think to pursue that is taking the bait. What would be taking the bait is to then go out and act responsibly or act criminally or in some way be provoked. We don't want to be reactors. We don't want to mm -hmm. be provoked. We want to be the ones taking appropriate, biblically informed, actually Christian action. Mm -hmm. Joseph, you know, I am. Uh, uh, it looked like you had a comment to say after I was talking about um, how it, it seems like there's a gathering battle a gathering point around this terminology christian nationalism what were you gonna what were you gonna follow up with well i, I wanted to make the point that you know it, as they cover christian nationalism what they didn't do is they didn't go talk to joe scarborough who recently said that it was heresy to use the bible to condemn uh, abortion and uh, Kamala harris was recently in a church making uh, biblical arguments, bad biblical arguments at that, but biblical arguments in defense of abortion, right? So they aren't actually concerned about people who would apply their faith to public policy. They're concerned about people who disagree with them who that's would right. apply their faith to public policy. And that's how we know it's manipulative. That's how we know it's bullying. And it's our job to just recognize that. Because the fact is, every single person is applying their understanding of truth to public policy if they engage. And some of them are, you know, pagans, and some of them are secularists, and some of them are, you know, syncretists, and some of them are Christians. Mm -hmm. And everybody's doing that. They're doing it in the same way that we're doing it. The people who made that NBC piece are doing exactly what they accuse us of doing and say it's all scary and harmful is I'm going to take my understanding of reality and I'm going to try, uh, try to apply that in law to the community around me because I think that's how we achieve uh, human flourishing.
That's what mm. they believe. That's what we believe. We have a d- different understanding of what is true. Therefore, we have a different understanding of what is good. But they are doing precisely the thing that they condemn us That's for right. doing, and they never admit it. So they just have a, a progressive leftist understanding of Christian nationalism. They just don't brand it that way, but that's exactly what it is. That's right. And so we just need to know that so we don't take the bait to the manipulation that they are engaged in when they say, oh, you Christian nationalists, you just sit down. You need to walk away, stop imposing your religion on people so we can impose our religion on people. It's a stupid argument if you say it that way, but that's exactly what they're saying. Yeah. That's the funny follow up on, on Twitter. I posted this on Twitter and I've been in a number of comment threads on Twitter um you know arguing this it's like you um i want christian nationalism and of course they immediately jump to well you want to force people to be christians it's like no uh, that's not what i mean by christian nationalism the gospel is not about forcing anybody to do anything um you know you you're going to stand before god all by yourself uh, you know you got you got issues before god but f- they jump to kind of all the pejoratives or or slander of what it means to be Christian nationalist. And my response to them is like, well, do you want Christian nationalism or secular nationalism? Do you want Christian, you know, I, I, of course I want Christian laws. I, I much prefer that over secular laws. Um, I mean, the secular laws in our town got us, you know, social distancing policies, six feet apart. I mean, like the, the, the craziness of what secular laws have revealed over these last two years is, is, is mind blowing. And and they're starting to show their own colors and, and what it mean what they really want with secularism. Um, how how should we, you know, be responding, Joseph? How should we be responding to that? You know, um, uh, I want you know Christian laws or you want secular laws. You know, kind of what you're pointing out a little bit about kind of the hypocrisy of I I've, I found it kind of futile a little bit to kind of point out liberals hypocrisy anymore it's it it doesn't really work it it doesn't work because they're not afraid of hypocrisy because hypocrisy it it, it exists in this world where it's possible to be wrong and there are certain things that are true and so you can't you can't be inconsistent in a world in which there is no ultimate truth because it's all a matter of opinion and so they don't have the ability to realize that the thing, thing i'm saying today is inconsistent with the thing i'm saying tomorrow and therefore i have to reconcile those things That's because right. for them arguments and words are just weapons to try to accomplish an end that they are confident is good but they're making a quasi constitutional legal argument what they're saying is it's unconstitutional to impose your religion on certain people. So if you have a religious idea, you should not engage in the public square because that's the imposition of a religion. If you have secular ideas, if you are informed by Oprah, uh, then it's okay for you to come in and impose your values on other people. And the constitutional system that, that our founders in their wisdom gave us did not have a litmus test for those things. Now we do have a constitutional process where that determines what ideas are constitutional or not constitutional, but it has nothing to do with whether those ideas came from the Bible or they came from the dictionary or they came from your favorite professor. It really doesn't matter. That's not part of the constitutional analysis. So we as Christians don't need to be afraid that, yes, the things that we believe are inspired by scripture, and there's nothing in con- in the Constitution that says that's somehow inappropriate any more than somebody who's Hare Krishna or anything else could say, my ideas are inspired by that. They have the same right under the Constitution to go advocate for their ideas. Mm-hmm. It's just that nobody's telling them that they shouldn't because they're Hare Krishna or they're, you know, you know, witches, because they're somehow allowed to do this, right? Because right. it's mm-hmm. it's politically acceptable. You know, 
Rhett, when we're talking about you know building culture, uh, we need Christians need to have a culture to replace a culture. If we're gonna if we're gonna fight a culture, you got to have a culture to fight the culture. Um, and it seems like the church hasn't had much to offer regarding culture over the last you know uh, I don't know decades, centuries, whatever over the long haul. Um, how should we as a church go about building a culture? That is, um, you know, parallel culture, parallel economy, but but it, but it's attractive and it actually engages. It actually pushes back in the curtain secular culture. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. I've heard uh, Pastor Doug say this a number of times. You you fight a you know a navy war with with ships, and you fight a tank war with tanks, and you fight a culture war. You need a culture to do it. And so mm-hmm. I do think that we need to be building uh, building this distinctively Christian culture. And you ask, how do you do that? I believe it does start with worship. Everything starts there. What happens, you know, in in the sanctuary then flows into the world. And so we need to be prioritizing um, the right worship of God first and foremost. And then that flows out. Then we go out into the world. And the way we say it at our church is, you know, we exist to worship God and win glory for King Jesus. The worship God part is, you know, the in the sanctuary part, the, the, the worship part first. Uh, but then we go out into the world to win glory for King Jesus. And we do this in a number of ways. We do this in our families. We do this with businesses. We do this in education and all of those things. But we need to be doing that in a distinctively Christian way, ordered according to the scriptures. And so when you think about this kind of framing in the Christian nationalism debate, uh, you know, the nationalism part is that it's okay to seek the good of your own you know, of your people, uh, yeah. people in closest proximity to you. The Christian part of that is we're going to to define good according to the scriptures. We're going to uh, order the seeking of the good according to God's revealed uh, word. And when we do that, it is going to be productive. God's mm-hmm. made the world in such a way that when we obey him in these things, it's going to produce things out into in the world. And then what we call that is, is culture. And then it it's with that culture that is both effective in the culture war, so to speak, but it's also attractive because it accords with reality, which means it accords with what is good and true and beautiful. It accords with uh, with the, the joy of God that is in his presence. Um, and so as we focus on that, uh, on those things, on culture building, not only will it be an effective weapon, but it'll also be an attractive one. So it seems like this, you know, Christian nationalism debate is just, going to skyrocket. I think these next two years, you got part of it, I think, is you got the November elections coming up. And so the liberals are constantly trying to find ways to um, win these elections. And so if they can create a a pejorative group of people, um, you know, fight that way. And then you got Biden coming up in the the next two years. um, It really seems like this is going to escalate. You know, I I don't know, this is to either of you guys, but, you know, where do we kind of go from here? I would say just one quick word of encouragement there, and then I want to hear from Joseph on that question, is uh, wouldn't it be just like God to uh, to tell a Haman story here to where uh, they put this pejorative out about you know Christian nationalism and what comes out on the other side is a Christian nation. And so God writes the best stories, and I think that's one of the reasons we own it and we then, then we reshape it, develop it, and deploy it out into the world uh, to build that type of nation, to build that type of community wherever we are. But wouldn't yeah. it be just like God tell that type of story and uh, and kind of hang them on, on their own gallows, so to speak? I like that. 
Yeah, and to that point, uh, where did the term Christian come from, right? They used to mock the followers of Jesus as being the little Christ. And then they were like, absolutely, that's what we are. We're the little Christ. And now we all call ourselves Christians, right? So that's been done before where you take a pejorative and then you just own it. Um, but to the extent that there are people, and we would agree that, you know, who who would, uh, you know, Christian nationalism is done in a bad way. Mm-hmm. This idea that we're trying to, we're trying to, we're, we're taking the wrong action for the, for a right end. And, and we don't necessarily want to attach ourselves to that. And, mm-hmm. but again, I'll just, because of that, I'll just go back to the original point. We just cannot uh, spend too much of our lives obsessing over what other people think about us and whether they're misrepresenting us. Cause if you want to try to find somebody to misrepresent you, you'll always be able to find that. And if all you're trying to do is correct the record, you're never going to do anything else constructive in your life. So on some senses, you just have to keep your, your nose to the grindstone. Just do what Jesus called you to do today. Wake up and go fulfill his mission and what other people think about it, what they report about it, what they say about it is just kind of beyond our control. Just make sure that we're honoring Jesus. If we're doing that, let him take care of our reputation. And he will use our obedience to him to build cultures. That's how, that's how we turn Babylon, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Totally misunderstood people who, uh, who were going to be killed uh, because of the misunderstanding. Um, Jesus didn't turn the heart of Nebuchadnezzar because they were brilliant. He turned the heart of Nebuchadnezzar because they were obedient. And he used their radical obedience to change that country. And I think that's just how he does it because that's when he gets the glory. Otherwise, we think we're smart. Amen. Rhett, any final word there? Yeah, I was just thinking uh, on that very point of, you know, we need to assume the center. Um, you know, I think about what Friedman talks about in uh, his book, A Failure of Nerve, where we need to you know, be self-differentiated. And, and that means we need to be not reacting to the, um, the slurs or the slander or the terminology of our enemies. We need to assume the center and be about building and uh, being constructive there in obedience to Christ. And what will come from that will be glorious. And what will come from that will be a blessing uh, to uh, this nation and to all nations. Thank you, Joseph and Rhett, for joining the Water Break this week. Appreciate you guys. I want to leave with one final comment here. And, um, you know, I really like how Joseph and uh, Rhett ended that. And, And so, you know, don't fear the culture wars ahead of us. Jesus King, collisions are going to happen. And we need to trust in God's sovereign plans here. It's his story. And we need to obey, trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way. Build on what God has in front of you. And until next week, go fight, laugh, and feast. This is the Water Boy with Water Break. Putting off writing that proposal again? Yeah, we've been there. Proposal writing can be tough. It takes work, and if you're not careful, you can set up your company for failure. Well, that's where we come in. Smart Pricing Table is an innovative application that focuses on, well, the pricing table. Instead of a static document and constant back and forth, our platform creates interactive proposals that empower your prospects. Not sure if something is needed? Make it optional. Have complicated services that vary? Let your customer do the work with line item upsells. Have reoccurring services? Easy peasy. With Smart Pricing Table, you can create attractive proposals quickly. And our system is built for reuse, so you can get out of that hamster wheel. Give your customers choice and close deals quickly with Smart Pricing Table.